0: Welcome to Public Policy
1: This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It's Friday, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week here on KYMN Radio.
2: Public Policy This Week is dedicated to the honest and open discussion of public policy issues. Each week, we take a look at a specific policy subject, and we have guests on the show who are experts in their fields. I'm John Olson, one of your hosts for this morning's show, and the man sitting next to me is Chris Chapp, your other host.
1: Our show today is on the advanced technology sector here in Minnesota. We're going to hear from two guests who lead important technology development organizations based right here in Minnesota, but they have national and global impacts.
2: We'll hear about the Defense Alliance and Minnesota SBIR Incorporated, both located here in Minnesota, and why they they matter for the future of our economy. Our two guests and their organizations ultimately impact the commercialization of innovations for important sectors of our economy. Key aspects of research, development, testing, and evaluation cover three program areas, and you're going to hear some fascinating statistics and details in today's show.
1: Our first guest is Chip Langan, who serves as the Executive Director of the Defense Alliance. Since 2011, he has served on the faculty of the Technological Leadership Institute at the University of Minnesota. He also serves on the advisory committee for Full Stack St. Paul, the Cybersecurity Summit, and with Midwest Cleantech Open. Chip was selected as an executive fellow for the University of Minnesota Center for Integrative Leadership in 2012. He is a retired commander in the U.S. Navy, where he served on active duty as a naval aviator for 21 years. He is an experienced professional for industry and technology based business and economic development and has expertise in federal procurement, cluster development, and leadership development.
2: Our second guest is Pat Dillon, who is president of Minnesota SBIR Incorporated, a private nonprofit organization. That supports startups and small businesses with funding for research development and commercialization of technologies into novel products and services for domestic and global markets. They leverage federal research and development investments to accomplish this. Minnesota SBIR is focused on the highly competitive federal small business innovation research and small business technology transfer programs, roughly a $4 billion pot of money available nationally each fiscal year. Pat Dillon has nearly 45 years of experience in government, industry, nonprofit, and academic organizations. Just like Chip Langan, Pat Dillon is also a retired commander in the U.S. Navy, with roughly 40 years of service in both the aviation and intelligence communities. Pat's a combat veteran, having served 10 minutes in Kabul, Afghanistan, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. And she is a proud recipient of the Vietnam-era GI Bill, earning an MBA and a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Winona State University in Winona, Minnesota.
1: Pat Dillon and Chip Langan, welcome to Public Policy This Week. Thank you both for joining us via Zoom today. We really appreciate it. And, and where are both of you sitting this morning? Uh, Pat, we'll start with you.
3: I am. Good morning. I'm sitting in Bloomington, Minnesota.
2: All right. And Chip? Uh, good
0: morning, John and Chris. Uh, I'm sitting in Woodbury, Minnesota, and it just dawned on I mean, we got three commanders and a professor, and it's, I'm just thinking of a. There's a joke in that somewhere. Three commanders <laughs> and a professor walk into a bar, but I won't. I won't continue that. We'll, we'll, we'll
1: figure out a punchline somewhere.
2: Now, yeah, we, had, yeah. we had wanted to have the two of you in studio with us this morning, but it was just uh, not very safe on the road. So, I, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. We're talking about technology today, and technology affords us the opportunity to still do this show, and everybody is safe. Uh, we have a lot to cover this morning. We should probably get started. Uh, Chip and I want to start with you. Uh, could you please give us an overview of what the Defense Alliance is, how many companies are members, and, and how that organization was created?
0: The alliance is the the region's defense industry network. We have um, corporate members, 875 corporate members in 37 states. So we started within a small company called Minnesota Wire, which we'll probably reference later, um, almost 20 years ago. Um, And we started the organization almost by accident. We were a small business just starting up uh, its defense division and trying to figure out how to get defense dollars into uh the company to help with its growth. And as we learned lessons, we said, hey, we should share these lessons. Uh, and it started in Minnesota with a few companies. Now it's branched out into a pretty sizable organization. Uh, we're funded by the uh, Small Business Administration now since 2011 under a program called the Regional Innovation Cluster Program. Uh, we're primarily defense focused and you know you say defense and cluster in the same sentence, it <laughs> kind of makes some sense. Um, Our charter is threefold. Uh, Number one, direct consulting with small businesses uh, to advance their bottom lines through federal contracting, Uh, mostly defense, but not all. Uh, Number two, assisting with regional economy efforts. Uh, We're working with uh, autonomy efforts in uh, North Dakota, uh, the Grand Farm Initiative actually in North Dakota, Fargo-Moorhead area as well, and aerospace and defense clusters in Wisconsin. And then a the third part of our, adv- of our charter is advocacy also. We're, since we have public funding coming in from the SBA, we can't lobby per se. So we advocate instead. We just change the verb so we don't get in trouble. <laughs> um, and so we speak at the Pentagon level in terms of um, getting better programs, better policy for small business. and uh, We think we've been pretty effective on that front uh, as well. So that's kind of a snapshot of what Defense Alliance is. It's a membership-based organization. Uh, we have free membership. Uh, which is great because we're funded by the SBA.
2: And, and SBA is Small Business Administration, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay.
1: Great. Thank you, Chip. And, uh, Pat, could you do the same thing for us with the Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Program? What are these organizations? How did you pull them together under under one roof, and, and what's your charge?
3: Well, <clears throat> well, thank you, John and, and Chris. So I have a long history with these two programs uh, dating back to the 90s. And after a long and windy road for the past 17 years, uh, I have uh, uh, created this new nonprofit to uh, help companies start up in existing companies to access uh these uh, non-dilutive funds through these small business innovation research and small business technology transfer programs. So we've been uh, in existence for 20, since 2014, but I had, you know, of course, a prior history with the programs in Minnesota. And then I ran off to Wisconsin for a while. I did my tour, as I, as I say, and then I came back to, to Minnesota. So, since 2014, we've uh, helped catalyze about $67 million with uh, 95 uh, small businesses, all across the spectrum of science, technology, engineering, and uh, manufacturing, and, uh, you know, it's just never a dull moment, as I say. Um, So, the programs, SBIR and SCTR, are cousins, and uh, so SBIR was uh, Uh, created in 1982, and then the STTR program was created in 1992. So these two programs uh, provide uh, federal funding through grants or contracts across 11 federal agencies to support uh, innovative technology development, leading to the creation of a new product or service. Uh, in the future. And uh, so the goals of the program are really to engage with small businesses in the federal R&D arena, uh, stimulate technological innovation, uh, foster and encourage participation uh, from uh, women and socially and economically disadvantaged persons, and really help support uh, increased uh, private sector commercialization of uh, previously funded uh, uh, or federally funded uh, research and development. And the STTR program, that's a great opportunity for a small business to collaborate with uh, a university or a medical institution to help bring uh, a technology uh, forward. So we're funded through the Small Business Administration, the Department of Employment and Economic Development, and we get some funding through the University of Minnesota and Mayo Clinic. So we play a very critical role with small businesses, especially startups, to access uh, this funding. And so I I recall my first meeting with Paul Wagner with Minnesota Wire many years ago. And uh, that meeting led to a submission of a proposal to the Department of Defense for, I believe it was for the stretchable wire and the project was funded. And it really turned, uh, gave this company an opportunity to change its whole uh, trajectory of its company and its and its growth and like Chip, you know, you just have so many stories <laughs> of companies that you've worked with, and that every one of them has their own their own story and their own pathway, their journey. And it, all you have to do is just get started and be persistent and tenacious, and uh, have a plan.
2: Can I, let me let me just do a quick follow up with both of you, just to make sure I, I understand this. Uh, uh, so, Pat, uh, the the Small Business uh, Innovation Research Program SBIR is really taking an idea, getting it funded, and moving forward with the developing a business, uh, and then the STTR is a technology transfer to sort of bring it into the marketplace. Is that roughly how we should think about this? No. Or? Okay. Let's <laughs> see. That's why I'm asking the question. That's why I'm asking the question. Okay.
3: So let let me just kind of give you the big picture, and Chip, of course, will probably chime in. As a nation, we we allocate about uh, it's probably close to 175 billion dollars every fiscal year to support basic and applied research across our academic institutions, our federal laboratories large businesses, nonprofit research organizations, and then, of course, small businesses. And small can be a startup of one person or it can, you know, be up to 500 employees. So I've always said I've never met an entrepreneur with just one idea. So, so what we're looking at is, you know, if you're trying to bring a new innovation or a new, something new to the marketplace and you have to do the R&D, the really early stage R&D, you ask yourself, well, how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to you know, hire the people or engage with other subcontractors or consultants to help us do that? Well, here's this uh, SBIR program that could be uh, a source of funding to help do that. And that's in the startup world, but in, even in a small business, you know, you're an existing small business like Minnesota Wire, it was a 50 year old company that stepped into the SBIR arena. Because they were eligible, number one, and they had the ideas, um, and so now here's a source of funding that they had never engaged with before. So this was a uh, life changing for them, and it's life changing for a lot of uh, people or you know, in companies uh, all across the nation. So all we're doing with SBIR and STTR, which you know, four billion is a nice little pot of money. Uh, is is to make it a, a level playing field so that you're only competing against other small businesses, which is a really important aspect of the program. Additionally, uh, it allows the company to retain the intellectual property that comes out of that project. You know, maybe there's some new IP that's that's generated, and it, and then the company owns that, uh, and it's non dilutive, so it's a federal grant or a contract. But the you know, agency, the government, isn't going to take a piece of your company. Hmm. So this is you know, really important funding for a lot of companies. And, uh, you know, a Minnesota Wire is just a prime example of what um, a small business is able to do. So I, what I would also say that, you know, we've had companies go from the seed stage all the way to an IPO, Or seed stage to a merger or acquisition by a large company. Um, Or, you know, we have a seed stage or maybe startup stage all the way, you know, and just being a small business in our local communities. And then, of course, we have existing companies like Minnesota Wire that got involved in the programs and it just totally changed the trajectory of their company. And then I also say, well, we have the graveyard, too, because, you know, not every business is successful. So... I think for me, you know, is that, you know, this supports the American dream for a scientist, an engineer, a small business, you know, to help realize uh, something that is only possible with the infusion of our tax dollars, our tax or investments in in these companies on these projects.
1: Thanks, Pat. That was A really helpful distinction um and i want to get to the graveyard later because obviously you know there's risk with any of these things and i'm really interested in how you how you navigate that space um chip i was wondering if you could also though just chime in and it was really helpful to hear um uh, pat clarify the role of sbir Um, how would you differentiate defense alliance and the work that you do
0: yeah, I just first have to say I laughed at it. We're all getting to the graveyard sooner or later. <laughs> right? um, uh, hopefully, much later. Um, so, that's an interesting segue because we are, as an organization, Defense Alliance, um, significantly different than uh, Minnesota SBIR. Uh, we, we tend to think of ourselves as um, jacks of all trades, masters of none, uh, which we always said, uh, as helicopter pilots in the Navy, that's what we were because uh, helicopters have a lot of missions compared to a fighter pilot you just has to do one thing. Um, and as a result, it was very hard to get good at one thing. And that's kind of where we are at Defense Alliance. And Pat mentioned that pot of money for SBIR, STTR, uh, and early stage research, and it's a big number. But if you look at the federal government writ large, as you all know, it's the biggest customer of anything in the world. Uh, and we're not talking just bombs and bullets. In fact, defense spending is mostly everything else. Uh, the biggest piece of their pie is is healthcare, and hmm. um, uh, better napkins, better coffee cups, better batteries. You you name it, uh, the Pentagon buys it. We tend to focus uh, a defense alliance on that entire continuum of commercialization of R and D from startups ideas on a napkin, all the way through the folks that have to work the supply chain, like the big uh, heavy horses that you might know, Boeing and Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin some of those and everything in between. And so we assist companies tapping into that broader spectrum of funding, Uh, not just the early stage uh, funding, but the late stage. We we love that um, kind of mature small business that has something they've been maybe uh, using elsewhere. uh, And it has a defense application, but they haven't figured out how to really commercialize it into a defense application. And there's tons of money for that as well in the hundreds of billions, um, or, you know, year over year, uh, to commercialize that. Uh, an example is Packet Digital, which is a small business up in uh, North Dakota uh, that started making a better power management system for batteries to make them last longer for applications. Uh, and of course, defense is very interested in that, uh, making uh, battery systems last longer with UABs in the air, for instance. Uh, we've helped Packet Digital now get significant dollars through um, broad agency announcements, direct into the Air Force, Navy, other programs, uh, and they're they're branching out now into actually building batteries. Uh, and so there's there's a, a significant um, ecosystem to tap into as a business, and not just dollars from the federal government, but all that comes with being part of that greater ecosystem including teaming with other small businesses, uh, partnering, uh, being a supplier for a large defense contractor, uh, branching out into adjacent industries. So Defense Alliance really kind of maps that ecosystem, uh, helps people understand um, how to play in it because it's complicated. Uh, And most importantly, we're connectors. Uh, We connect people to experts like uh, Pat Dillon who, who understands that early stage technology sector much better than I do. Uh, So that's the helicopter pilot handing it off to the intelligence (laughs) officer. There's there's a reason for that.
3: (laughs) Thank you. You know, I think that the key, the key thing, you know, is that, you know, with Chip and I, you know, we're all, we're playing in the same sandbox and of course we're doing things a little differently, but we do have a lot of synergy because, you know, the work that, you know, with the goal of SBIR and SETR funded projects, the goal is to get the procurement because in the programs, the legislation uh, that Congress, you know, approved and authorized in 1982, it includes this phase three um portion of of, of uh, the programs and that is to we're moving from the r d side of the equation over into procurement commercialization procurement and we have a number of companies that you know the goal is to get to procurement because they can the agencies you know the federal government regardless of which agency funded the project if there's a opportunity to transition that product or that service into procurement It can be purchased on a sole source basis. And we have, and the Navy, by the way, is the most prolific uh, phase three sole source contractor uh, of SBIR and SCTR uh, products. Um, Hmm. And so the the goal is to do that transition. And uh, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really about how you're going to generate additional revenues, both in the commercial world and in the government world, to support your business and, and to support your growth.
2: Let, let me ask a follow-up question on, on that. Uh, so the the president just released, you know, his budget uh, design. We're waiting for the House to come out with theirs. At this point in the budget cycle, every year, how, how panicked are each of you for your respective programs over what the federal <clears throat> budget is actually going to look like? Because I, I have to imagine it changes every year based on what Congress passes and is signed into law. Is is that right? I mean does it heavily impact this or is it pretty stable funding at the federal level?
3: Well, I'm going to start first because last fiscal year, um SBIR and STTR had to go through either an extension or reauthorization or the goal was to to actually make these two programs permanent. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until September 30th, the last day of the fiscal year, when President Biden signed the legislation to extend the SBIR and STTR programs for three years. So, so that's one thing. And that was really nerve wracking during the summer because it would impact so many small businesses all around the country. It was really a, a tenuous time. And so thank goodness uh, it, it it became reality, but the goal is now I mean this is crazy you know forty years of demonstrated impact, economic impact, and probably the granddaddy of all the SBIR funded companies in the country is Qualcomm. They got mm. funded in ni- in the 90s by the National Science Foundation, Department of Defense, DARPA they're a hundred and thirty two billion dollar company now. Mm. So it's like, you know, and there's many other companies that are across the spectrum. So this is crazy to have have this really critical program go through these these hoops and and uh, every few years. It's it's just not acceptable. And then the other thing that, you know, with the way that programs are structured um the SBIR program is 3.2 percent of whatever the extramural r d budget is for that agency so as budgets increase and decrease with agencies so so does the SBIR program and the STTR program you know it's only uh, applicable to six agencies but it's 0.45% of whatever their extramural R&D budget is. So this is how we, you know, ultimately end up to, you know, $4 billion a year. Uh, but there's that other 97% <laughs> that CHIP, you know, gets involved in, uh, you know, with the Defense Alliance.
0: Well, and I add, too, the SBIR program is one of those extremely rare now, completely bipartisan programs. Everybody supports it. It's amazing, uh, and so when it's it was up for reauthorization, it really is quibbling about details around the margins, which in our environment is still significant. Um, <laughs> but I'd say you know, largely federal budget-wise, and to Pat's point, there's you know the, the other 97 percent or whatever that um, a lot of our businesses are trying to tap into. The the issue there is more um, the lack of predictability the lack of continuity in programs. That's the real issue. So it's not saying like, okay, Special Operations Command has a pot of money called a broad agency announcement. And what's that gonna be like? It's the entire overall macro system called the federal government, which <laughs> for a lot of reasons is uh, not predictable. And a lot of programs don't continue depending on the political situation. Hmm. And that's really challenging for small businesses to navigate, to figure out, to predict, they turn to us and, then they, and they ask us, well, how can we be sure such and such a major program will be around in three years? And unfortunately, we don't have good answers for them. Uh, we instead turn to their overall strategy of these businesses and say, look, what part of that is, what, how much of that is part of your overall strategic plan? And how can you balance your portfolio of technology to look at other programs? Other adjacent technologies. What are you doing to be more diverse as a company, technology-wise and customer-wise, so you're not affected by the vagaries that mm-hmm. exist in the federal government system?
3: So, one thing that I learned when I was serving over in Afghanistan and I was at um, at the NATO training mission, and this, you know, the had a big budget. I mean, ten billion dollars a year to help stand up the afghan national army and the afghan national police and i just remember you know being in budget meetings and the army the one question that always came out of their mouth was well what's the requirement <laughs> and um, and that of course has stuck with me as well as many other things but i you know to chip's point you know this is a big animal. The DOD is a big animal. People uh, change out, missions change, uh, priorities change. And so for a small business to try to keep their pulse on what's going on within whatever group they're interacting with, that's there's a cost associated with doing that. And I think, you know, with having like, you know, I mean, this just this past week, you know, we've got a client that's uh, pursuing uh, an appropriation, and so we're working with a congressional member to actually, you know, get get this thing submitted, and hopefully, you know, it makes it into into the 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 subcommittee uh, list of appropriations. But there was a. a uh, a code. I actually asked uh, Chip, I said, what do you know about this, this program element code? <laughs> you know, And so eventually I eventually found out, you know, and uh, found out what that means and, and so forth. But th- these are the details that just trip up small businesses all the time. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't live and breathe this every day, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's, com- it's complicated and as competitive as all get out. So it's like <laughs> any way that we can help Lessen the burden, strengthen that small business to be able to pursue this kind of business is is really important to not to the state's economy because we send all this money to Washington. What do we do to get it back? You know, yeah, and yeah. I always say, you know, you write a really good research proposal that gets funded, <laughs> and you know, and I mean, it's so simple. We send it to Washington. we have to fill out one sheet of paper, right? The W two
2: or four or whatever it is. Why don't we go ahead and pivot over to a couple of other uh, topics. Uh, Chris has a question about Minnesota's workforce.
1: Yeah, well, thinking about challenges to small business, uh, we hear a lot about the importance of an educated workforce and getting the right folks to do the job. Could you talk a little bit about um, both how Minnesota compares to other states um, and the importance of a well-educated workforce, especially when we're talking about, Science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and and applications in the economy.
0: Well, I, I think the the uh, typical listener to this show knows that uh, Minnesota leads the country in having an educated workforce. I mean, across across the board in terms of especially higher education, um, advanced degrees, uh, including science and technology degrees, and we have just a incredible universe of um, universities and colleges in this state, uh, St. Olaf where you're at close to Mm -hmm. now is a great example, right? Um, And and it's it's good news. And Minnesota does have that reputation. And we have a legacy that comes with that of innovation in technology. Uh, I I will say, however, that that is somewhat of a legacy. I use that word. Um, It's still true. But I think we risk losing that now because there's not a balanced... Uh, approach to what that workforce should look like in the future, not just types of advanced degrees, but the spectrum of qualifications from high school diplomas to trades to associate of arts degrees, the whole spectrum, certificates. uh, And education, as most of you know, I think is reinventing itself right now. Mm -hmm. And Minnesota is part of that, but I'm not sure we're tying the future of what the economy should look like in Minnesota and nationally to workforce goals and figuring out, okay, who's going to train these people for the future for specific industries where high tech is going to lead.
2: And and I do have a couple of follow-up things I'd like to say here before we we tap into your expertise, Pat. But uh, the Minnesota demographer uh, indicates that uh, Minnesota's workforce, the size of the workforce, has fallen about 3% over the last three years, which is twice the national decline. Uh, and as a result of that, Minnesota faces a prospect of long-term worker shortages, especially in these high-tech fields that the two of you represent, and possibly lower economic growth for the state of Minnesota. Obviously, we know the importance of uh, of computer literacy, uh, programming, and everything else. And uh, o- only 53% of U.S. high schools offer foundational computer science education. Uh, and, and really, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but... Why aren't we giving uh, a focus even in our grade schools on uh, computer programming uh, across the state of Minnesota to a reinvestment in education in Minnesota, uh, specifically in this area of computer science, to prepare us for these, these future high-tech career fields? Uh, Pat, yeah. any, any thoughts on this yeah. overall topic?
3: Yeah, so I, I was uh, previous to starting MNSBIR, Inc. I was with the Minnesota Technology Association, which is a trade association. And in their focus, this legislative session is to address this problem that does exist in Minnesota by ensuring that high school students are, you know, I'd have to look at the legislation, but the, the goal is to, you know, infuse some uh, capital into the schools so that they can teach these really important courses to help build up that, that you know, particularly that IT workforce for the future. But that's just one piece of the puzzle, you know, And and so when I look at, you know, the people that I work with, especially with from the University of Minnesota, uh, uh, you know, the PhD candidates that are starting up companies, which is really exciting in my, my perspective, because, I mean, I've had like this, I, I was sharing this yesterday with someone that this is move slow moving train over 30 years, watching these different trends and, and, and things happening at the national level and how they're playing out in Minnesota. And I said that in the past, You know, if you were a Ph.D. candidate at a university, your pathway was either go find a tenured position somewhere or uh, go work in large company in a large company or, you know, some other pathway. It was never talked about to actually, well, maybe you could take some technology that you're working on, maybe your dissertation and actually uh, create a company around it and and so forth. And that's what's happening more and more like at the University of Minnesota. So my world is, you know, acronyms, of course, master's and PhD. That's, you know, the reality of, of, of pursuing funding through SBIR and SCTR. But, you know, those companies, if you can develop something, where well, you are going to hire more people and you're going to have to have other smart people to help you uh, do what you need to do. And it's not only just the STEM, deg- you know, uh, area, but it's certainly, you know, business and marketing and finance and and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, from, you know, just my window on what's happening at the national level with all the different uh, grant programs through like the National Science Foundation to support the STEM workforce, the Department of Education, you know, and even, even some of the other federal agencies like the Department of Defense and having STEM internships or fellowships and and so forth. I mean, there's a a real need. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different pathways to consider.
2: Mm -hmm. Chip, follow up, any follow up from you on this?
1: Well,
0: I I would just say, again, from a policy perspective on this issue, I I, I don't think it's a budgetary issue at all, except in terms of redirecting funds. I I think it's significantly a leadership issue in terms of tying education outcomes to what the challenges are for the nation as a whole and the global challenges. And we're not, we're not, we're starting to, but I don't think we're not identifying well enough uh, what the workforce should look like in five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then making sure the leadership gets on the same page uh, apolitically uh, and, and starts to redirect funds toward where we want successful outcomes so we can lead. I mean, because China is, is is destroying us globally right now in terms of intellectual property and innovation. I hate to say it. We're starting to slip behind. Uh, and we can fix that very quickly because we have the building blocks in Minnesota and we have the building blocks nationally that nobody else has. We're just not coordinating it in the way that we should.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I want, I want to follow up on that because, you know, my, my always been my pet peeve, if you will, <laughs> is that, you know, on a national level, we have the Office of Science and Technology Policy and all these major initiatives at the national level. And yet here in Minnesota, we don't have a science and technology policy per se, where we say, okay, we're going to invest the, the money into these key critical technology areas and we're gonna buckle or uh, a bolt on the educational component to it and so that we can support those new industries for the future and 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 I I don't know as and even in the, the legislature you know we have the jobs and economic development committees which are really important um, But there isn't a science and technology committee on either the House or the Senate, and uh, and I think that we're missing something. And, And especially when you start reading through all the legislation, you know that's that's making its way through the legislature. It's you know agriculture, it's environment, it's climate change. You know these are all things that should be maybe under uh, another committee called the Science and Technology Committee, where they look at all these different funding, these uh, opportunities that might exist in, in in Minnesota.
2: We're going to take just a second for station identification. Uh, we, we, we only have so much time left in the hour, so we're going to ask both of you to sort of uh, tighten it up
1: on our responses going forward for the rest of the show. You're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080, FM 95.1, broadcasting from downtown Northfield, Minnesota. I'm Chris Chapp, and my co-host John Olson and I are talking with Pat Dillon, who leads Minnesota Small Business Innovation Research, and Chip Langan, who leads the Defense Alliance. And we're talking about challenges in the Minnesota advanced technology sector. Chip, you mentioned the term Regional Innovation Cluster, or RIC, earlier. How is a U.S. government, Small Business Administration, RIC, um, a good deal for the American taxpayer? We've talked about some of the success stories already, but could you make the case that that this is really worth the investment?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I'm i the first one to say that federal government should get out of everything except defense, <laughs> maybe filling potholes. Um, and yet I've been at the government trough my entire career, so I, I'm, I'm very conflicted. Um, but I will say that... Um, looking at programs across the federal government there's obviously a lot of waste a lot of great programs sbir as we mentioned is is, has an amazing track record in commercializing technology the RIC program regional innovation cluster program of which we are one has been a huge success i i think there's 14 regional clusters in the country um all focused on different technology areas we're the only one that's kind of broad in terms of being defense high tech focused Uh, Our return on investment for the tax dollar is 55 to 1. Wow. That's measured measured separately by a third party called Optimal Solutions for the Small Business Administration. Uh, And of the clusters that are out there, uh, we have the best return on investment uh, among the 14 SBA clusters and the 50-plus other technology clusters that the federal government funds in part. My theory is because of those 50, 60 technology clusters, we're one of three that is a small business. Every other one is an um, academic institution or a nonprofit. And our numbers in terms of return on investment uh, uh, vastly eclipse those others. And I think that's a testament to small business uh, in itself and a, and a clue to the federal government that if you're going to fund something, maybe maybe hand it off to the private sector because we can do it better. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Pat, we know the federal, so let's both of you touched on this. I want to return to this question because I think it's really important. We know the federal government has recognized the U.S. is in a critical race against China, uh, specifically in this advanced technology development. Uh, so this question is both kind of a national security question and an economic question. What, what technology development areas, uh, and both of you can talk to address this, uh, but uh, what technology development areas are getting the most attention from federal and state government funding
3: right now? I'm going to pass it off to Chip. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, the Chip Science Act has certainly gotten a lot of attention and the Inflation Reduction Act, climate change, you know, these sorts of things. And then when I think about China, you know, they are pouring all sorts of money into science and technology development efforts. And, you know, the one thing that You know how many submarines do they have now? I mean, this has been increasingly, uh, um, I mean, has been increasing over the years. So, I, you know, you know, I remember back during the '70s and and when President Nixon went to China and there was going to open up this whole new opportunity for the U.S. and so forth and and uh, my father used to say oh that's like the huge sleeping giant we should just leave it alone <laughs> and uh, i i think um yeah i think we you know the future i mean i really do worry about the future um, for our children and grandchildren because they're they're really going to have to step up to the plate and and do a lot for this country um and, yep. and it starts with, you know, frankly, getting an education. Yeah, and it's not yeah. all about computer codes. Chip? <laughs> right.
0: yep. and, and, I, and I would say we're, we're from a topic. Area, we're great things. I mean, uh, we're starting to, from a technology perspective, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, largely autonomy and robotics, uh, advanced materials. We, we've got it. We understand what the future holds and what we need to fund. That's good news. The the bad news, from my perspective, from a policy perspective, is uh, the federal government that writes these checks doesn't have the right values in mind in terms of how to spend those tax dollars. And that's a huge problem because it's an efficiency loss across the board uh, and we can do much better with those dollars
3: so eloquently said.
1: So I, mean, said. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm curious, you know, to get really specific about some of the other barriers that might exist. Um we've talked about education, we've talked about um uncertainty in funding streams. Um I'm curious if there's other barriers that that you'd care to to talk about, um, I mean, I'm thinking of infrastructure off the top of my head um, to help being to create a successful business. Um, other challenges that you're hearing from when you when you talk to small businesses that are that are trying to get their their foot in the door. Can I, can I get really
0: theoretical with you? Sure. <laughs> so I so I teach policy at at the U of M. I'm an adjunct professor there, um, and I, and I teach something called the Bardak Eightfold Path Policy Analysis. It's pretty basic. Um, number four is of the eightfold path is uh, a policy analyst or creator needs to select the right criteria. And from my perspective, the federal government, it, its procurement process, Pat, you mentioned the word procurement, it's a big process, it spends a lot of money. It values the criteria, um, price and fairness above all else. Those are cool things, um, but they're not the right things. Uh, Instead of price, the federal government should value value to the taxpayer. And instead of fairness, and, you know, the intention is good. We're spending public money. We want to be fair with it in terms of who gets it. Uh, But we should be focused on effectiveness of spending those dollars rather than fairness. And so we're skewed in terms of our values, and that has real impact in terms of where the money gets spent and how it gets spent. Um, And and it's very difficult for the federal government to change that criteria that value set whenever i hear the pentagon saying we're going to redo and fix the procurement process (laughs) every five years or something they do it uh, and it just makes things worse and my theory is because the criteria never changes we're we're valuing price and fairness and we should be valuing value and effectiveness pat it all
3: stems from um the federal procurement policy and federal Reg, you know acquisition regulations, which is you know a huge document. Um, you know it, it's you it, for a
0: lawyer joke at this point.
3: Sure, yeah, <laughs> let's hear
0: it. <laughs> no, I don't think. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt.
3: Yeah, I I don't really have much more to say other than it's just really complicated, and I and I think there's just too many moving parts, and there's too many competing priorities. Um at and and with different, you know, different administrations over the years. Mm-hmm. And somehow, you know, such a big monolithic organization continues to you know, hopefully accomplishes its mission, but it's, you know, it's a chaotic environment, I think. uh you know, trying to get something through the procurement process, immediately for these large companies. I mean, they have you know, groups of people that help shepherd, you know, uh, reports and, and uh, other requests for procurement, but it takes months and years and, and uh, you know, having those relationships and lobbyists with the congressional members. Yeah. It's- well,
0: I, mean, I, joke, I joke about lawyers, but, you know, risk is a big piece of this, too. You know, nobody in the federal government wants to risk because the lawyers are there saying, oh, can't do that, can't do that. And let me give an example of where where we can start to change this. This was an Air Force program about a long time ago now, 20 years ago. Somebody in the Air Force said, why don't we tell mission commanders to get the mission done? And if you save money in your budget in that process, you, you can use some of that savings to buy whatever you want for your unit. And things changed overnight in this pilot program in the Air Force. Squadrons saved tons of fuel money. They still got the mission done. And they started buying really great stuff for their for their unit. Better vehicles, better audio visual systems, people were happier. They threw picnics for the squadron. Uh, and, and the lawyers got involved and said, that's not fair. Again, we're valuing fairness instead of the right thing to do. And other squadrons aren't getting what you're getting. Well, yeah, because they're not being efficient with their tax dollars. So they got punished and they shut the program down. That's yeah. crazy. And that's just one example of ways we can change this. It's not hard. So I'm not saying kill all the lawyers. There's the joke. Um, (laughs) But it would be a good start.
2: Uh, For our audience, you're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. We're broadcasting from downtown Northfield, Minnesota. I'm John Olson, and my co-host Chris Chapp and I are talking with Pat Dillon, who leads the Minnesota Small Business Innovation Research, and Chip Langen, who leads the Defense Alliance, and we're discussing Minnesota's research, development, testing, and evaluation opportunities for small businesses and primarily in the advanced technology sector.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. So let's get into so we've already talked about some of the challenges and um, policies at the federal level that might be uh, making it more difficult for some of these small businesses to thrive. Could we get into thinking about maybe state or county policies even or city policies? that can make it more difficult, or or things that you've seen that are real success stories, um, times when uh, local communities have maybe been able to invest in a small business and and be successful. Any specific policies, success stories, or or problems come to mind? Um, Pat, let's start with you.
3: Okay, you know, I, I think, so one of the challenges that I see is that there's this, uh, sometimes there's this misalignment that occurs, you know, the, the money's at the federal level, and yet the state um, and sometimes its policies and so forth isn't aligned with that. And maybe it shouldn't be, but, you know, it's it would seem like we should be aligned with that because it is a big pot of money there. Um, when we get to cities and counties, um, you know, there's they're going to follow. I mean, they don't really have any financial resources, per se, to really support some of these big things so so we're always looking at the federal government but we also need to be thinking about um how we're supporting especially startups and access to capital and there's some really good things happening in minnesota and even at the federal level that's going to help support investment in in these companies but it's really hard raising capital and um and so i think When we look at what's happening in Minnesota, with Launch Minnesota um, and some of the initiatives that the Department of Employment and Economic Development are supporting and especially uh, um, uh, an initiative to secure 150 million dollars from the legislature for uh, helping to attract um, you know chip manufacturers or chip facilities here in Minnesota uh i think is a really important investment that needs to be made because we're competing with other states for those federal dollars that are obviously coming through the chip science act and so forth so i think the more that we can get aligned you know not only in, in creating these facilities but then also it's like the R&D and the in the engineering and all these other things that come come along with that the more we can get aligned with that the, the better off we'll be um, i you know wh- some people say well why did you start this this new nonprofit you know why didn't you just go you know work for the state of minnesota or you know or go to the university and you know those were certainly options, but I, I came out of an environment where we had a nonprofit for 20 years, and because of state policies and politics, you know, it, it wasn't funded in 2003, which was a really sad day for me. And uh, and so here I am, you know, 17 years later, completing the mission, you know, with this new nonprofit. But I think it's really important for Minnesota businesses to be able to have a, a neutral. Uh, organization that has the agility and the flexibility and the mission and the vision to to be there to support these companies as they navigate through these complicated uh, R&D programs. and uh, And I'm happy to say that, you know, we've got some legislation that's making its way through the state legislature and hopefully you know we'll we'll end up with some money you know our request is 5 million to to build out a robust uh, organization to support these companies but we'll see what happens um you know i'm optimistic most of the time <laughs> but it's you know it's the right thing to do it's the right thing to do because you know we send all this money to washington and there's a gap you know here in minnesota where Companies need to have a place they can go to to get the guidance and the advice and the support to navigate this complicated environment.
2: And, Chip, how about you?
0: Yeah, you mentioned at, at the beginning of the show that uh, we were going to hear some fascinating statistics, I think you said. Um, one of them is Minnesota is 50th out of 50 states in terms of the return on our federal tax dollar, mm. or 49th, depending on which measure you use. Um that's that's not a great number. We talked about sending money to Washington, we're not getting it back, and other states are. Um, Minnesota, again, has amazing building blocks here. We have uh, a leading R1 research institution in the University of Minnesota, and all the colleges around us. Uh, an amazing workforce, a legacy of innovation. Um, what we're lacking is coherence, collaboration, communication among those parts. The government can incentivize that. Uh, and assist with that. Right now, um, if you look at policy in the state, uh, especially compared to our neighbors, um, this state represents taxation, oversight, regulation, uh, and legislating unrelated criteria when it comes to science and technology policy. Um, Whatever you feel about climate equity, and some of those things, those are square policy pegs in round technology holes they don't belong in incentivizing uh, R&D for the future. You go up to a place like John, you asked for, Chris, you asked for examples. I'll point to other states, I hate to say it. Uh, we go up to North Dakota, everybody's on the same page. They agree with the technology future of the state. Uh, There's incentives, it's about tax reductions, it's about matching funds. Uh, It's about targeting incentives for workforce creation and development for the future. And it's about leadership, everybody being on the same page.
3: Well, they only had 700,000 people up there, so it's a lot easier. A little easier, on yeah. yeah page, I'll give, them that. I'll give them that.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs>
3: you know, it's and like-
0: it's really cold and flat, so they're hungry. <laughs>
1: Well, you you just mentioned uh I think you just mentioned or gave us incentive for an entire another program um where we could where we could talk about um all these different values and how they play out in the public policy arena. Um but for Absolutely. right now, uh we have about 3 minutes left and we always try to give our guests the last word on the show. Um wondering uh what each of you would like to uh, have our our listeners uh walk away with today.
2: About a minute and a half for each of you. So it's a little tight. <laughs>
1: Uh,
0: well, let, let me just say, and I said this when we were in the preamble to our show, and that is, you know, Pat and I get to work with amazing entrepreneurs, innovators, creators, inventors uh, every day. Um, like I said, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. Um, I can fly a helicopter and ride a desk. That's about it. We, we're amazed by the people that create and innovate. Uh, and make the world a better place with their cool stuff, it's amazing. and There's no time to go into all the examples, but what people create uh, uh, despite the complexities of the ecosystem we talked about amazes me every day, and that's where the success resides and where the kudos belong.
2: And Pat?
3: Yeah, you know, I would echo that as well. I mean, it is really truly amazing i'm actually working with a a startup company that came out of the university of minnesota and a a large company uh helped develop this technology along with the university of minnesota and they had funding through the national institutes of health and this is uh we're actually i can't go into any details because it's confidential but it's it's a new novel solution hopefully to help our veterans who were exposed to airborne hazards and uh open burn pits Mm. and and having served in Afghanistan and in Kandahar and and Kabul you know I know I was exposed to the burn pit uh, toxic fumes and so and there's been like all these uh health issues that have come along with you know people that were exposed to those burn pits so I think you know that project, I mean, they're they are going to be the next darling uh, for the University of Minnesota. But this is like re this is real and it has is a platform technology that has application in all kinds of different areas. So I, um, I always look at the future and say, Well, how how is this going to impact the future? Um, not only economy, but you know, Americans, veterans, you know, to um, to make a better place. All right. And,
2: um, well, we'll have to leave yeah. it there. We've uh, reached the end of our, of our hour today. Pat Dillon from the Minnesota uh, SBIR and Chip Langen, uh, who leads uh, the Defense Alliance, thank you both for spending time with us this morning uh, for our show, Public Policy,
1: this week.
3: Uh, could thank you, please, you very much.
1: Please, uh, if you could, uh, tell our listeners where they can find out more information about your respective organizations, maybe just a, a website address.
3: Absolutely. So Minnesotasbir.org.
0: And DefenseAlliance.com. Don't spell it with a C. Some people do.
2: <laughs> All right. That will conclude this edition of Public Policy This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, each Friday morning from 10 to 11 a.m.
1: Our next Friday's edition of Public Policy This Week. Bruce Moreland and Joe Moravchik will be covering Daylight Savings Time, its impact on the economy and power use, and the debate about ending it. Be sure to join us because it's going to be a fascinating discussion. (laughs) Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Chip, for
2: joining us today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Public Policy This Week. Have a fantastic Friday afternoon and a superb weekend, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning
0: at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember,
2: this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from KYMNradio.net.